and carry the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy, and I'm 100. Happy 100th birthday. Thank you. I'm 100 too. What? Really, this podcast is He's now 100. 100. So welcome to our centennial. This is our 100th episode. Woohoo! Hey, we did it. Who knew it after six years? Now, most podcasts get there a lot faster <laughs> no, they do it than in, we have. What, about two years probably? Yeah, because mm-hmm. we tend to release our new investigations once a month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, every once in a while, we'll give you two a month. And then we'll be like, that was exhausting. Oh, my goodness. And we often hear from people saying, boy, we wish you'd release more often. And we say, listen, do you know how much work this takes? But we have a big announcement for our 100th episode. We are moving to a weekly format. What? That's right. Oh No, Ross and Carrie will come to your earbuds every week. What? Instead of every month. Ross, that's going to be so much work for me. Yeah, yeah, probably will. (laughs) But it'll be exciting for everybody else. So we'll hopefully do more interviews, have a lot of additional small investigations, and break up some of our larger ones that I think had become really long. Into small little bitelets, little episodelets. So we're excited about this, and hopefully you are too. Yeah. So we said last time that we would bring you the second half of our Ozark Mountain UFO conference, but truly this shall be part two. There is quite a bit to tell you. Yes, because half implies there are only two parts. Correct. But there will be more than two parts. But they shall come at you more frequently. Thus, you shall get more but quicker. Whoa. Hey, hey. You like math. math. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So where did we head next at the Ozark Mountain UFO Conference? We got to hear from James Clarkson and Kathleen Marden. We met the vendors downstairs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we got to go to another talk that I know you had been looking forward to. Oh, yes. My girl, Linda Moulton Howe. Yeah, I didn't know anything about her in advance. Did you? Only from the website. Okay, but she's a big force in the UFO community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you know anything about ufology today, and I doubt you do, but if you do, then you know about (laughs) Linda Moulton Howe. And boy, how D. And how. Exactly. I had seen her photo and I thought she looked just a little fun. Yeah. Boy, how can you tell just from looking at her picture? But I could tell too. Yeah. Like, oh, she's out there. Yeah, she's going to be fun. And her talk was about whether we live in a computer simulation. Is our universe an alien 3D holographic experiment? Wouldn't it be great if her answer was just no? <laughs> yeah, I know. I always <laughs> love the thought of that elaborate setup. And then the answer is no. <laughs> nope, it's doubt not. it. But I would say scientifically, this was one of the more kind of plausible premises. Uh-huh, I'll yeah, say. you said that yeah. early on. And yeah. she, uh, she went all over the place, but there were times where she was just presenting interesting theories about the possibility of us living in a simulation. And kind of one of the ideas out there is that if you had a sufficiently advanced civilization, they could simulate a universe inside of a computer of some sort. Sure. And so as soon as that happens, then there's no reason not to simulate hundreds, thousands, millions of other universes and just have them kind of play out with different laws of physics or whatever. And so by that thinking, as soon as that happens, the probability of any individual living inside of a simulation is much greater than the probability of living in the base reality. Mm -hmm. So are we in a simulation? No. Oh. (laughs) 
I'm very skeptical of this, but... I don't think that we actually are. I would guess yeah. we are in a base reality. Yeah. But it's an interesting thought, and I yeah, think yeah. one of the more plausible thoughts being considered here. Yeah, sure. She started out showing clips from a Neil deGrasse Tyson panel, and so clearly there are some rational scientists who are considering this possibility, including Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of our most respected public scientists. Mm-hmm. And so he held this panel in 2016, I think, and Ma- she was not on that panel, but she's kind of giving this topic consideration for herself. Right. These are like well-known physicists, Lisa Randall, Max Tegmark, David Chalmers. Yeah, legit people talking about this issue, but they just happen to be saying things that she liked for her talk, which is fine. So she starts out with some points that like you're saying, are easier to digest and buy. Like our universe is computable. It's on some level finite, so it can be simulated. Mm -hmm. Fair. Elon Musk said that games could hypothetically get so good that you couldn't distinguish them from reality. Fair. So if that could happen, how do we know it hasn't happened? Mm -hmm. All right, fine. Yep, yep. Um, Then she kind of jumps to... Well, since that could be the case, it is the case. So who's leading the simulation? All right. Well, I'll tell you. Yeah, this was interesting. She was quoting James Gates Jr. and saying something about how if we looked at, I think it was a fallout from the Big Bang, but essentially if we we looked at this astronomical information, we could detect codes. Anyways, the idea is if you queried nature enough, you could find these hidden codes. And so she was quoting this one guy saying, oh, he actually did detect codes and there was error correction written in like a programmer would put into a computer program. So there we go. We know we are in a simulation. So all of a sudden she starts talking about Aramamuru. Aramamuru in Peru. Which is a place with an ancient door where people randomly appear or disappear into another dimension. Yeah. And this is where I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You had me there for a moment. Yeah. And you just lost me. Wait, what is this? This. Yeah, just this cliff face. It's got some rough markings in it that form what she said was a door. Right. And it was very tall. It was like, I don't know, like 20 feet tall or something. But then there was a little six foot tall door. Yeah, etching. A slight depression carved into it. No one knows how that got there. And so she's showing Yeah, she tells us this, and no one knows how that got there. And everyone goes, (gasps) Right, and this is where I kind of looked at the crowd like, yeah, you guys are thinking this is crazy too, right? And like, oh, no, no. It's really funny. There were a few times where you said that, like, oh, I just assumed everyone knew that was silly. And I had never thought that. I knew I thought the whole time, like, oh, no, we're all buying this, right? Yeah, we're all into this. (laughs) I kept looking for support, like, okay, okay, no, this is a little untenable. No, no, tenable. Totally tenable. Okay. (laughs) Keep going. I did find here, though, I was like, this is the most charismatic speaker we've had. Like, she's got just Mm. this, like, power to her and she brings her hands up with everything she says and she does linger on sentences and know when she's hit a thought that could (laughs) stick. You yeah, know. totally. Yeah, she's a, I think, a little lady. She's got mm-hmm. um, a lot of brown curly hair, kind of like Elaine in Seinfeld, sort of mm-hmm. that body of hair, also wearing glasses. Real skinny. Maybe in her 60s, 60s I guess. yeah. Big wide smile. She was saying about this portal, this doorway, that occasionally there would be a flash of light and then people would walk out of the portal who weren't there before and they were dressed as Incas. Yeah, as Incan gods. Okay, so hold everything. Get those clothes. Let's study them. Do you have a sample of the material? Nope, just a story, and that's good enough. I that's mean, all you get, Carrie. Someone saw it. Oh my God! This they is had enormous. arrest powers. This what do you want? This is the biggest news of human history. So apparently, they, they are arrest powers. 
<laughs> Apparently, they are popping out of the simulation and coming back in. Uh, That's the implication. Oh my God. Yeah, okay. And so then she starts telling the story of Jerry Wills. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Before we get to Jerry, yeah. she says this wonderful thing. Okay. By the way, wherever you see a pyramid, it is someone's territorial claim in a war. And everyone around oh, us went- What was that? And everyone around us goes, mmm, oh, and like writes it down. This audience what? was not with me because I kept wanting to look around and be like, okay, okay every no. pyramid is- No, no, you guys- Okay, never mind. Oh my God, but also aliens all have six fingers and they use these casts to make the hands and they keep them on oh, board every yes. ship. Yeah, she showed us this plate that had these hands on the- You're telling me these are real? Come on. Someone made this. Yeah, it's this plate that is supposed to be the mold that you make people's hands out of. And these are all just declarative statements. She is so assured of it and just throws it out there. And it's it's coming out so rapid fire that you're like, oh my God, wait, that was just 30 seconds. You have the stage for two hours? Is this what it's going to be like? And it is. You guys, it is. So then she starts telling us the story of Jerry Wells, 1965, <laughs> when he was a mere uh, 12 and a half year old lad living in Kentucky on a farm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carrie is like shaking with excitement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what that is. He's so great. Okay, so He's UFO, a UFO appears to uh-huh. young Jerry Wells. A year later, there was a tall blonde alien named Zoe, Zoe. who appeared to him. And he's from Tau Ceti, so that's cool. He's, of course, a six-fingered alien, and you know we see those panels. And those panels were retrieved on May 31st, 1947 in the UFO crash in San Augustine, New Mexico. And so Jerry then finds that he can use those panels with Zoe's help. How did he get these panels if they were recovered from a crash in 1947? Why would they, 20 years later, show up with Jerry Wills in Kentucky? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I guess Zoe brought them. Zoe, the blonde alien. Uh, then in 1969, at age 16, Zoe sketches a four-foot cube that is activated to become transparent and filled with 3D stars and galaxies. So like he's able to show young Jerry Wills this map of the universe that he has within this four-foot cube. Okay. Sounds real. <laughs> This is where I wrote, this talk is fucking great. I'm so happy I'm here. At this point, then another voice appears. That's all we're told. So I guess like a voice in his head. I don't know. But it goes by the name of Pedro. And it tells Jerry where to put his head on the floor and how to hum so he can go through that door. Right. So he has to go to Aramamuru also. Right. And he's like, okay, so here's your special hum that you can use to go through the portal that looks like just a cliff face. Right. So now to it's Carrie 1998. To Ross, it's just a cliff face. Right. So now it's 1998, right? Yeah. So many years later, he finally like gets the funds together to go travel there. So Jerry goes, as an adult. goes to the rock doorway. He's just gotten married. So his poor wife, Kathy, has to come along. Jerry marries Kathy. And watch him stick his head up against this wall and hum. Hums Pedro's tones and he felt like he walked backwards off a cliff. I'm listening to the words here very carefully and realizing that Kathy's just watching him sitting there humming. Uh-huh. He doesn't actually disappear or go anywhere. Right. But he senses that he's falling off of a cliff. Right. Whoa. He squeezes his eyes closed and he finds himself in an all white space. It felt like plastic. He's still there with his head against the wall, but yeah, he's somehow also in this white space. Right. He whistles and he hollers in the white space. There's no echoes. And a voice responds, and it's kind of a surprise, and it says, 
who are you? And so Jerry explains. Like, I'm from and, Earth. And the being responds. At first, it's like, I don't understand. And then finally, it's like, ah, oh, Earth, okay. And then the being explains, okay, well, I'm from this other world that's outside of your universe. And we recreated your universe. We were trying to create different simulations of our own universe. Right. And yours was an accident. And it just, it got carried away. And we had to put these big light rods in place to halt its growth. And so there's these big kind of neon lights. They show a little painting of this, the simulated universe that he just came from, I guess. And these fluorescent lights, essentially, that are barring it from growing too large. Yeah, what was the point of that? Is that our sun? No, because, you know, our sun was just one of the tiny, tiny dots inside of this universe. Mm. So, yeah, these were just to stop it from expanding too far. Yeah, so I'm assuming these recreations were in a computer, but that's not explicitly said. Yeah, yeah, I think that's understood. But then they realize that they, too, are just in a simulation. Right. So we Whoa, live, meta, man. We are a speck living on a speck, rotating around a speck. That is just part of a simulation inside of another simulation. Whoa, trippy. And who knows how far this goes. <laughs> Carrie's doing a little <laughs> 70s, I'm on drugs dance. <laughs> and it turns out that doorways throughout our universe access our creators. Not our Earth, Ross, our universe. I believe it. Then she talks about like the holographic universe, a famous book that you've probably all heard of by Michael Talbot, and then says that Bud Hopkins, a famous abduction researcher who we'll hear about later, he had confided to Linda that Talbot was actually an abduction case and that he had learned all of this information about the holographic universe from the aliens. Everything he wrote in that book in 1990 was just downloads from the aliens. I love how they communicate to us in that way. Mm -hmm. They want us to know, but not in any verifiable way. You skipped over the incredibly long piece of tape we listened to between oh, yes. Linda and Jerry. She has like 10 minutes of interview that we just had to sit through of her talking to Jerry that is just interminable. Yep. A woman cannot edit. Yeah, so then she plays us another phoner interview with this guy, Physicist, this guy yeah. named Thomas Warren Campbell who agrees with her conclusions that we live in a computer simulation. It's just them like sort of waxing poetic about what this would mean. But right. again, and it's just this like really long tape. Like, pick out your best bites, lady. We don't need all of this. She had learned from him that I think our, our human existence is all an entropy reduction trainer for souls. That's why we're here on planet Earth. Right. Oh, come on. And then she explained what entropy was. Which is fine, yeah. Increase in disorder. Because then she explains that when we're done on this Earth, we're sent to another universe that's parallel to ours and everything runs backwards. So immediately I'm thinking, okay, well, immediately they wouldn't be exactly like ours because running backwards would change everything. Uh-huh. All of the electrons mm -hmm. here are positively charged over mm -hmm. there and all of the mm -hmm. and all of the protons here are positive, but they're negative over there. Also, once you make one thing the opposite over there, you can't make everything else the opposite because 
I mean, like once we make, once we say you're sitting on that side of the table and I'm sitting on this side of the table, Mm -hmm. you change so many other things that you can't say which other things are going to be opposites. Well, and then she was saying, and then she was saying that, that we just get better. We get more youthful and we don't die. So then she said, okay, you've just invalidated everything that happens here. We lost our connection. Right. Exactly. Then we all just end up up in that world forever. And again, I look like, oh, y'all with me? Y'all with me? And everybody's like, "Uh uh-huh. She's right. She's right. That's beautiful. Yeah, she said, we all end up more beautiful and fresh and new. And And everyone's like, "Mm." that's fine. That's fine. But don't say that it's exactly like here. It's also not fine. It doesn't make any sense. All right. Well, even granting that. But yeah. Yeah, no. Oh, another thing that we learned, I think, from her talking to this physicist is that all matter is frozen light. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't think of Let's any way in which that matter, would be true. Frozen and light. Goodness. <laughs> I wrote here eight minute interview with Tom almost puts Ross to sleep. Yep. Oh, yeah. I wrote all mass is frozen light. Sure. Fine. Okay. Yeah. And then she went into a, a big, long metaphorical discussion about particles versus waves. Oh, and right. She explained the double slit experiment to me. She explained it to you. Yeah, to oh, me. She kind of stepped down off the stage, took took off her microphone. Uh, yeah, I've heard it explained better uh-huh. by, by more qualified people. For God, they love the observer effect. This whole, oh, yeah. This whole world loves, I mean, the whole world of paranormal theory. Loves to take loves that out of context effect. and not understand it. Yep. By implying that somehow your state of mind as the observer is affecting the nature of reality And then, therefore, they can extrapolate that to the secret thing where, you know, by our intentions, we can control the universe. And none of that is correct. As far as we know. Yep. Okay, so then she closes out with this story. And I wish she hadn't told us this, but she says, I'm going to close out with this story. And we're all like, oh, all right. And then she says, it'll only take me about a half hour to tell. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yep. (sighs) Okay. So she tells us about this childhood experience of this beautiful light she saw on a mountain. Let's see if I can tell it to you in mm, 20 seconds. Okay. So uh, (laughs) she was like running down a mountain. She's a kid. She sees this beautiful light. Everything's really warm. And a light surrounded her and said, you are surrounded by light and cherished forever. Oh, yes. And she felt loved by God forever. And she kind of choked up telling us this. And it was very lovely. And she said this experience changed her forever. And everyone bolted to their feet. And oh, gave standing her a standing ovation. ovation and clapped like You would think seals. she made banjos or something. <laughs> exactly. And then as we left, someone said to Forrest, she was so wonderful. And he said, I know. You never know what'll come out of her face. <laughs> I think that right there was our favorite line from the (laughs) entire conference. Yeah, it could be. You never know what will come out of her face. Yeah. And then I realized why we all respected Forrest. Yep. Because that was a notable quotable. Oh, man, I I liked your shorter version of the story because, yeah, she took a long time to to tell about that. Her learning of the assurance of endless love. That's great. So then we had our dinner break. You and I drove off for Chinese food. Yeah. All right, so we get back from our dinner break, and it is time for... A two-hour talk. 
Oh, boy. With Grant Cameron. Well, our keynote speaker of the yeah, day. Yeah, keynote speaker. So this guy, he knows a lot. Now, we are told that he is an expert on presidential knowledge of UFOs. And Forrest guarantees we won't fall asleep during this talk. He's right. We didn't. We did not. It was a good one. We got back-to-back our top contenders for craziest speakers at the conference. Yeah, we've debated, and I call Linda our craziest speaker. And I call Grant our craziest speaker, but we both agree these are the two top. For sure. Also, he had written a book about nuclear weapons, and so I leaned over. Oh, no, 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 no. It's nuclear. But but he said nuclear. No, 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 That's different. Yeah, no, it's not. He's just missaying nuclear. I've, I've never actually heard of nuclear weapons. I'm not sure what they are. <laughs> So, but they're different no, than not. nuclear weapons. No, he's, it's pretty he's just sure missing. that's a different mm, thing. Because mm, mm. if it was nuclear, he would have said that because it's very easy to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so actually, I kind of liked where he went with this. Instead of talking about government conspiracy or presidential UFO knowledge, he wanted to talk about creativity and, yeah. and how aliens have inspired people throughout the years to achieve greatness. Because yeah. we can't just describe it as human ingenuity and skill. It has to be from an outside source. I gotta ding Grant a little bit on not quite being specific about whether it was aliens or it was just sort of magical forces. Yeah, and he that was something he was kind of explicit in saying that magic is a thing. Like he felt right. that was a useful term. And he felt that all of these phenomena were related. Yes. The sense I was getting was that it kind of originates from aliens in whatever form it comes in. Right. But it encompasses all of the various you know, mystical experiences that we are familiar with. Right. And he did say at one point something like, I like to just say magic and that's that's fine. But just as a result, I was just kind of murky on, yeah, yeah wh- what are you specifically saying though? Are the aliens causing it or are you just saying, I'm not even sure what's causing it, but something other than the here and now, you know, I just like, I wanted Fair. him to be a little more explicit. Yeah. He had a book called Managing Magic. He had another one about aliens, indies and dreams. He uh, wrote a book about the Clintons. Oh, yeah. So the Clintons are surprisingly kind of beloved to some faction because of the UFO community. Because they're pro-disclosure. Because they're pro-UFO disclosure. But then also not at all beloved among other parts of the community that are obviously the ones who are like very conservative. Conservative, and, yeah. Right. He did say a little bit of government conspiracy stuff. He was talking about the wife of the CIA guy and she did like a live Q&A on YouTube. Right. He's like, don't watch the puppet, watch the puppet master. If you look behind her, you can see her husband telling her what to say and he's very connected to the part of the CIA that deals with UFOs and and it was just it was crazy talk. Yeah, and then he said it's not it's not even her, it's her friends and they try to make her friends look crazy and she speaks through her friend like just I looked up this name and I watched like YouTube videos with her and pretty much everything I could find and I have no idea what he's talking about. None of it was related to aliens or UFOs whatsoever. Oh, she wasn't even talking about aliens? Nope. Oh boy. Not in anything I could find. Wow. Her name is Aaliyah Pendolfi. And he said that there was this guy, Dan Smith, talking about the best right. of, the best possible world. And it's in multiple parts on YouTube. I haven't watched through that yet. Mm-hmm. But as, it looks like this guy is kind of like him where he just spouts all this UFO stuff. Grant claims that Dan Smith is sort of the mouthpiece for Pendolfi and his wife. And that Dan 
look so crazy to the outside world that that's why they can use him. Oh, right. Yeah, but of course, what a, a sort of unfalsifiable way to look at what it. What a complicated web he weaves of all these different shadowy government characters. We talk to him later, and that's where we hear most of this stuff. Right. Anyways, so he said that 14% of experiencers say that they now understand everything. Great. Cool. We should have them work on Cure for AIDS. Yeah, if they understand everything. I mean, we really only bit. need like one of them for that. <laughs> he plays a video of this four-year-old playing piano as like, look, this, oh, right. this is a little kid and he's really talented. Therefore... There's got to be something else to explain this. And a lot of the kid videos are kids with savant syndrome. Yes. So they're kids with autism who then are really, really, really talented at a particular skill. Right. And then he claimed that that talent came from aliens or angels or... He was just saying that for them. There was a blind guy who was really talented on the piano and could kind of replicate any song he'd heard. Cool. Not sure how that supports your point, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then he started getting into stories where people had said that they were inspired by, say, dreams. So Dreamcatcher by Stephen King, that was inspired by a lucid dream. Right. He also showed this Daniel Tammet video. He's the guy that they made the documentary about Brain Man. And from what I've heard in Moonwalking with Einstein, a book that we've both read. Yeah, great book. Highly recommend that to everybody. And it says... In that book that it's very likely that Daniel Tammet was just using memorization techniques and claiming to be a savant. Oh, right, right. But we watch a long video about him. We learned that LSD has helped people solve problems. The sewing machine was downloaded in a dream. If there was no LSD, there would be no computers. Everyone in Silicon Valley was using LSD. The periodic table oh, was I didn't even remember that envisioned one. in a dream. Yeah, oh, I, great. I'd, I'd heard that before, too. And that is a hard thing to visualize. But I imagine even then we're talking about someone like kind of getting a general idea in the dream, not literally seeing every single element. And then, you know. Sure. But you wake up like, oh, I know how to organize right, them. Now. Exactly. Uh, Doug Engelbart, the creator of the mouse uh, that came from. Adrian. They played a cool video of Richard Feynman and Fred Hoyle talking together about inspiration and having that moment and wanting to recreate it when you have that. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Yeah, I love that video too. I'd seen that one before. So highly recommend that conversation. We see Alec Guinness claiming to predict James Dean's death. Oh yeah, that was a crazy piece of audio I'd never heard of before. So Alec Guinness had been trying to get dinner reservations and couldn't get into this place, but then he ran into James Dean, this young upcoming star. And so James Dean was going to get him into the restaurant and he said oh but i want to show you my new car this cool silver little car and so he shows it to alleginis and alleginis says something just came over me in that moment and i said look i won't join your table unless you want me to but i must say something please do not get into that car because if you do and i looked at my watch and i said if you get into that car at all it's now thursday whatever the date was 10 o'clock at night and by 10 o'clock at night Next Thursday, you'll be dead if you get into that car. Nonsense. Someone had dinner, we had a charming dinner, and he was dead the following uh, Thursday afternoon. Can you imagine, like, Allegheny's Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, giving you this oracle uh-huh. prophecy, and then sure enough, James Dean died. I see nothing wrong with that story. Move on. <laughs> it sounds made up to me. Nope, probably uh, true. Hmm. Allegheny's. Maybe. Genuine class. Possible. 
I really liked those little clips of Liz Gilbert's TED Talk. Yeah. The author of Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah, she had a bunch of stories like that too, people getting inspiration from, not aliens. She didn't no. say that. Yeah, see, that's a thing. See, I felt like her talk, I later watched it. I watched it today, actually. She's talking about people getting inspiration from the muse, so to speak, but you can tell she's leaving room for that being a metaphor. Right. She would talk about, you know, like speaking to that personified idea. Yeah. And she would like speak to the room, say, okay, I'm doing my part. I'm writing. Are you going to help me out here? Right. Otherwise, it's going to be really bad. And yeah, that's all fine. And that's totally cool if that's your method. But hers was open to this being like metaphorical, whereas his was like, no, there are literally aliens and they're literally doing this and Uh it's not you. And I just kind of felt like, oh, you're not necessarily a creative guy and you've been listening to creative people talk in metaphors and Mm -hmm. like you're taking it way too literally. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of interesting stories about people just getting, you know, this bolt of insight all of a sudden. And that's cool. And we all wish we could have that moment or emulate that or recreate that. And yeah, I think he's just created a little theory that somehow explains all of this. Yeah, we learned that uh, Gene Roddenberry of Star Trek fame, he was channeling the Council of Nine. Never heard of that. And somehow mm. that was connected with Uri Geller, the same group that he consulted Gene with. Gene Roddenberry was also very famously not into this sort like of Like a thing. rational guy. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like there's more to that story. Apparently Sting got the song I'll Be Watching You in that same sort of flash of insight. Couldn't explain it. Anyway, you get it. We have dozens and dozens and dozens of these examples. It was two hours of this. So, I mean, some of the more egregious ones were like the song Sail, AWOL's Sail. AWOL Nation. AWOL Nation's Sail has a video of, like the music video, the story of the music video is that someone's getting abducted. But the singer has said like, no, I haven't. Yeah, so that's the end of the story. He just I made an abduction been abducted. video. It's just, that's the story of it. But Grant, Grant is like, says... Oh, well, I'll let you judge for yourself after you see the video. And we're like, well, this is just a work of fiction. The author said so. (laughs) Right. It's in the cultural narrative. And so we made a video about it and a story. He did the same thing with the Ellie Goulding song, Lights. Right. And and he said, if you listen to the lyrics, it sounds like an abduction tale. Which it it does. Yeah. I've got to say, I've now listened to it on loop, like, I don't know, like 40 times or something really catchy song Uh but uh yeah it totally sounds like an abduction she says when asked she says no it's just about my fear of the dark right she makes it sound like abduction but that's her choice and leave it there but they feel that she is an experiencer she just hasn't owned up to it big liar or she's not aware nope big liar at carol king's you just call on oh, me. yeah. Wherever I am. That James Taylor covered. Uh, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Mm-hmm. Julia Ward Howe's Battle Hymn of the Republic was from automatic writing. And he was saying like, oh, if the Christians complain like, oh, well, this is all demonic. Well, then how did we get Battle Hymn of the Republic and Oh Little Town of Bethlehem from automatic writing? Mm. Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah. At this point, the speaker suddenly says, I don't really listen to much music. <laughs> like, You've got oh, a long playlist for wow. someone who doesn't. Okay. He it also uh, kind of shows, buddy. Oh, right. He highlighted this woman, Rosemary Brown, who channeled... 40 dead musicians and she would compose music in their styles. I just thought, oh, <laughs> yeah. 
This is so sad. And they're not very accurate. Yeah, it's just this woman who's, you know, composing music and ascribing it. A Wizard of Oz apparently was a complete download. Mm-hmm. Came right away to L. Frank Baum. J.K. Rowling got all of the Harry Potter books while she was on the train in this a download. And this won't be the last we hear of J.K. Rowling. Indeed. J.K. Rowling. So it is J.K. Rowling, but we're going to say Rowling. Mm-hmm. For reasons that will be clear very soon. Yeah. So anyway, sorry to just rattle these off to you guys, but that's the experience. Hey, he of did this it talk. to us for two hours. <laughs> you know, I was uh, I was very interested in this though. But yeah, then he would just show us a Ringo Starr music video based on Day the Earth Stood Still. It's like, well, Ringo Starr didn't even say he was an experiencer. He just uh-huh. showed UFOs in his music video. Cut this out of the presentation. And sometimes they're real stretches. Like, okay, he shows us a Yusuf Islam song, formerly known as Cat Stevens. Where he sings about being on a ship and the ship didn't have a wheel. And then Grant says, and as we all know, flying saucers don't have wheels. So this is probably about a flying saucer and he was probably on a flying saucer. And this is his confession that he is an experiencer. And that's why he converted to Islam? Yeah, right. Also, yeah. Oh, (laughs) one of my favorite stories was about Bono. That he keeps calling Bono. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So Bono of U2 was writing a song. He got it by download in his dream. And he's like, oh, my goodness, that was like a Roy Orbison song. I need to see if maybe he'll sing it. But then guess who shows up at his concert the next day? (gasps) Roy Orbison. How did you know that? From your sentence structure. Oh, well, so he comes to him like, hey, do you have anything I can sing? He's like, I just wrote this song in your style. And they <gasps> they sing it together. And it's a song none of us have ever heard of because <laughs> it's not particularly interesting or good. Whoa. From the aliens, the aliens, though. aliens gave it to us. So I'm wondering, are the aliens just looking at their own top 40 lists and saying like, the humans should have these songs? Yeah, maybe these are just all their rejects. Yeah, from the Pleiades. And that's what we get to hear. Yeah, maybe they were like, oh, God, this Neil Diamond song, like, send that down. This yeah, is the worst. He talks about so many artists, so like Tom York from Radiohead, John Denver, and then he gets into like Sun Ra, the creator of Afrofuturism. Like, yeah, you can cut some of these out, you know, George Clinton, Jerry Robbie Garcia, Williams. Jimi Hendrix, Curtis Knight. Cheryl Crow. Uh, Yeah, all over the place. But 54% of experiences were instructed about oneness and love. And again, oh, yes. Virtually all of the talks will come back to this concept that the aliens basically just want to preach this message of love. Oneness and love. And so, presumably, all these songs come back to that message. So, that was the last talk of the first day. Yeah, and so we got out at 9 p.m. They had some event that was like a cash bar, but we're like, we're good, we're gone. Yeah, we're tired. Yeah, that was a long day. And that started at like 11.15. Right. The next day was going to start at 9 a.m., essentially. Oh, boy. Now, Ross, this is fun, and I'm loving listening to this podcast that I am on. Yeah. But what other podcasts are on Maximum Fun? Oh, well, actually, I really like this one. Hi, everybody. I'm Justin McElroy. And I'm Dr. Sydney McElroy. Every week, we release a medical history podcast called Sawbones. We go over the history of the dumbest, grossest, weirdest stuff humans have been doing to each other since the dawn of mankind. But it's a funny show. But it's also so disgusting and stomach-turning, you won't believe it. But it's also, like, <laughs> funny. It's funny. 
It is the wildest, grossest, nastiest stuff you can imagine. It's a real hoot. It's called Sawbones, and we release it every week on iTunes, wherever podcasts are sold, and right here on MaximumFun.org. Hoo-hoo! That's a good one. Real good. So we get back to the conference center at 9 a.m. the next day. They start out by announcing like all of the complaints they've received about the temperature and everything else in the yeah, conference. Yeah, we walked in and they were just reading the complaints off from like feedback forms. You thought this was a bad move. I mean, it's obviously it's good to get feedback, but yeah, maybe starting off your second day with a thorough overview of your worst qualities is right. maybe not a good picker-upper. And then it's time to introduce the next speaker. And I love what they would do every time. They would introduce the speaker. The speaker would start to come up on stage. And then they'd be like, stop, wait. We're going to play videos of you from a previous conference. It was so weird. I think the idea started with, we're going to play our founder introducing you. Because the founder has been passed away for not too long. So it's sort of a tip of the hat to him. Right. But then they thought, oh, okay. Well, we're on a roll as long as we're doing <laughs> video of him. You gave a talk here before. Let's, yeah. let's play you let's speaking. Let's play you 10 years ago. Maybe it'll be cute. See how much you've changed. But this just became very awkward. So Forrest would give his intro while this speaker is standing off to the side of the stage. We all clap. Then we see the intro from the passed away gentleman. Right, and the speaker is standing by the wings Still like, what do, I, what do I do? There. And sometimes they're on the stage just kind of waiting like, how long is this going to go? Then we watch a clip of their talk 10 years ago. And then that fizzles out. And then we then watch their talk from five years ago. Up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was so strange. Very awkward. But, okay, so this next speaker was very interesting. She was featured in Bud Hopkins's book, Intruders, Intruders, The Incredible Visitations at Copley Woods. She also hosts her own podcast called Midwest Paratalk, so check that out if that suits you. They did mention she's kind of shy, so this is a really rare occurrence yeah. to get to see her, so we were really excited. And when the book was originally published, she was anonymous. She didn't want right. to be named, and after, I think it was about two decades, she finally decided in 1992 to reveal her true identity as someone who had been abducted yeah deborah cobble she says that she was abducted uh in 1983 the year i was born coincidence yes okay so she told us the story of her abduction she had been at her mom's house again she was young and she had seen but not a child no right and she had gone to like a friend's house or something but then her mom called her and said hey i saw like this weird light can can you come back? And so she's like, all right. So she heads back home. And sure enough, she sees this basketball-sized blue light, glowing light. And, you know, I would say that this light was probably not a normal frequency. <laughs> if right. I, if I had to say. So she kind of followed this light into, I think it was like a shed or something. And then she had this whole missing time phenomenon. And later on, she was able to recover the memories right. with Bud Hopkins's help. And her dog was uh, in heat and her dog was in the shed. And she, when she saw this light, she thought maybe there was like an intruder, like a person intruder in yeah. the shed, grabbed a gun oh, to yeah, go that's right. face she down had, the intruder. She had a rifle with her, I think. And uh, when she came back in, 
in, her memories left her, and she says she walked in, and her mom was like, you okay? And she oh, yeah. said- yeah. She yeah. was telling the story, and there was that moment where she said, like, and then all my memories drained from all me. All my like, memories went away. How do you know this then? Yeah. And then she, all she wanted to do was go swimming, so she went swimming immediately after Yeah, that, that was weird. She had a sudden urge to go swimming. To so get she wet, she said. Invited her friend. Now, to back up a little bit, she also said that as a child, she had a ton of lucid dreams. She would dream that she left her body a lot. And um, her mom had actually had some alien experiences, like some sightings. Right. And there's a lot of issues in her family. Like her mom had shoved Debbie and her sister into the attic repeatedly and said that someone was coming for them. And she said, my sister has such intense trauma over this that when she moves into a new house, she nails the attic <sighs> shut. crazy. Yeah. That is so crazy. So it's not hard for me to imagine if you're constantly being told that someone's coming for you, how you would easily imagine that someone was there for you. She told this crazy story about when she was young. Oh, boy. And they were on a CB radio, her and her sister. While they were camping? Yeah, and they contacted three boys. And so those boys said, oh, we want to come over and visit you. And we're thinking, oh, no. Yeah, we're like, oh, the story could go really badly. But no, they just hang out with the boys, have a good time. And the boys say, oh, yeah, we're just staying over on the next ridge. And they go to look for them the next day. And they weren't there. They weren't there. And it was as if no one had camped there the night before. And it's just like, oh, you met some clean boys? Wow. So Some boys who cleaned up after themselves. Well. Why are you telling us this story? I don't know what this is supposed to indicate, but great. Yeah, so she says, uh, well, things like that just happened to me all growing up. Just so weird. And she told the story of soon after she was married, she was laying down to go to bed one night. And she saw four foot guys with big black eyes come in her room and her husband was next to her asleep and I thought this is just a hypnagogic delusion. Yeah. It's like a classic case. Which is when you're in that half asleep state and your brain just starts like firing images at you. And right. Feel like you're still awake but you're not. And hypnagogic is going into sleep and hypnopompic is coming out of sleep. Yeah, they had black cubes in their hands. They were roughly shoebox size, the cubes. There was red light coming out of the top. Sounds real. So the next morning after the abduction, she says, my eyes were swollen shut. They were so painful. And at first I'm thinking like, oh, wow, okay, that's weird. And then she says, it's almost as if I had opened my eyes underwater in the pool, but I hadn't done that. And then, (laughs) (laughs) oh, okay, right. I forgot about how you went swimming. You probably did open your eyes. You forgot all these other things (laughs) that happened to you, but you'd never forget opening your eyes underwater. Your eyes underwater. underwater. Oh, yeah, this was all just a couple weeks before you were born, June 30th. Mm -hmm. This was a day that will live on for her like other people remember us landing on the moon. Right. Or JFK's assassination. Oh, definitely. And actually, where this all really begins, I think, is just a little bit later, about six days before my birthday, because on the 4th of July that year, they had a few people over, and Debbie's grandma sees a mark in the grass in the backyard. Yes, this is like the big piece of evidence. Yeah, so it's this big sort of circular-shaped mark, and the grandma says, oh, that must be where the UFO landed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's just kind of making a funny half-handed remark. And Debbie has this sort of truth landing That's in it. your stomach moment. Right. And she says she starts remembering. 
And that's when the memories don't, they don't start like flooding back to her or anything, but just has this feeling like, oh, right. something's up, something was going right. on. Yeah. And so snow melted off that mark, but the mark remained and they actually had the mark tested and they couldn't find any life or bacteria in the mark for the next two years. Right. Yeah. The, the mark was a long line near the pool. And it had circular ends on each side. And when, especially when they mentioned that snow would melt around it, I kept thinking, okay, well, maybe there's a line that somehow heats up the pool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there, mm-hmm. there's other things like I would want to dig up underneath that line. See right. what's under there. Have an electrician do it maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then she found Bud Hopkins's book, Missing Time. Right, so she's a UFO researcher. Right, and she's like, oh my goodness, wow, someone actually looks into these things. So she wrote him, and for her, like, oh, that was the fateful moment that I actually contacted him. And at first, she was actually embarrassed to contact him, so she made the letter entirely about her sister, because her sister had already had UFO experiences. Asking for a friend. So she wrote all about her sister's UFO experiences, and then in the last couple lines was like, oh, and by the way, I also had this weird experience myself. So at this point... She's not even thinking of her own experiences as that big of a deal. Uh Uh-huh. Bud Hopkins writes back and is like, no, I'm more interested in what happened to you. So Debbie ends up taking psychological testing for Bud to eliminate the possibility that this is all something going on with her. Mm -hmm. And Debbie is now telling us, well, you know, I was okay with being told that I might be quote unquote crazy because they make pills for that. And then this will go away. We just have to take that at face value, but okay. Mm -hmm. And she says, they tell her that she doesn't have schizophrenia, but she does have PTSD. Right. And in order to have PTSD, you have to have had some kind of trauma. (laughs) She says, and I had a pretty normal childhood, so. Minus us being thrown in the attic. Right. Every time your mom thought someone was coming to steal us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, poor lady. She clearly had just had so many troubles in her life. And then she starts telling us about Dr. Aphrodite Clamar, who regressed her so she could remember. And here's where we've got a major problem. Yeah, regression. Yeah. So do you want to explain what hypnotic regression is? So the idea is that you get your body into a relaxed state, and the theory is that you have all these extra memories that are residing inside of you, but they've just been blocked by something, and you need to get underneath them. And in this suggestible state, the hypnotist can then ask you questions that will help you remember these forgotten details. Now... The problem with that is we are very good at making things up. Our brains are simulation machines. That's why we can dream. We can build a whole world inside of our heads. And so when someone starts asking you questions about, you know, Oh, and then what did they say? Ah, well, you give them dialogue. And oh, and then what happened? And something happens. And I think it seemed like at this conference, many of the speakers were aware that this is a probable pitfall. And so they were always very clear to say, oh, and they asked no leading questions. You know, Mm -hmm. it was a very well done regression. And there were people there watching. That was mentioned also as well when they would talk about hypnotic regressions. Oh, there were other people supervising, making sure there were no leading questions. But even still, you're reconstructing a memory. And I know we talked about this in our Scientology episodes when we were talking about doing the auditing. Auditing. You're you're so being called upon just to invent the past. And as soon as you've done that, the very act of remembering it and saying it creates it as a memory in your head. Right. And then it's indistinguishable from any other memory. There's a book that you and I have read called Abducted by Susan Clancy. Yeah, great book. A psychologist out of, I think, Harvard, Mm -hmm. who did studies specifically on people who believe they've been abducted by aliens and she found 
and at least all of the cases that she studied, that they had all created those memories through the aid of hypnotherapy and the memories had been created out of whole cloth. Yeah, it's a fascinating book. I highly recommend it for anybody interested in this topic. She had been looking into false recovered memory syndrome in the context of the very sensitive and touchy area of people who had remembered abuse in their past. Right. And so she was looking for a control group Mm -hmm. to observe. And so she thought, well, let's look at alien abductees. And so she got really involved in the world of abduction. Yeah, it's a really good book. Now, one thing that's really interesting is that Dolores Cannon, who is the mother of the host of this event, Mm -hmm. Dolores has passed away, but Dolores was a big figure in the hip hypnotic regression movement and actually taught a lot of the modern hypnotists her own special method for helping people remember their alien experiences. So we heard a lot of people singing her praises and her specific Dolores Cannon memory regression techniques. Yeah, we'll have to try that out sometime. Yeah, I'll regress you. Cool. Give me fake memories. Yeah, why not? Not only is Deborah Cobble a magnet for aliens, What else does she attract, Carrie? Uh, Tornadoes? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, she believes that since she's been the victim of, I believe, three tornadoes, which is horrible. Yes. That this has nothing to do with her living in Tornadoville. You brought up a good point. Why doesn't she then move away because she's endangering these people? Right. Move to California and bring the tornadoes here. Yeah. Either way, she should move somewhere where tornadoes aren't predisposed to be, just in general, because she showed us these photos of her wrecked houses. And she was saying, yeah, my husband and I are saying, like, if two more happen, we're definitely leaving. Yeah, I know, two. Come on. Oh, yeah. She also told us about how she used to, she would often be driving and she'd just be bombarded with words or phrases and she'd have to pull over to write them down in order to keep driving, which I, you know, I'm definitely not a mental health professional and was never trained in it. So Mm. I don't know what, you know, that is, but that doesn't sound like- Something worth looking at. Yeah. It doesn't sound safe or comfortable. I remember she told this one story about falling asleep and then she woke up in the exact same position. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that just sounds normal. It was after, I think it was a visitation or something. Oh, yeah, this was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, she told another story about two men rising up out of the water. Do you remember this? Uh-uh. But they were dry still, and there was a blonde guy who was very attractive. Oh, I kind of remember the blonde guy being very attractive. And he told them, we are returning later. But I don't think she finished that story, so maybe they haven't returned yet. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. And one of them had rubber socks? This is so weird. <laughs> Boy, I think I missed this. There was a point at which, you know, I was just feeling so bad for her that I was just sort of looking at her and thinking my own thoughts. You know, she also mentioned that in 1994, she watched her husband commit suicide. She's been through so much. I know. And then she quickly said, well, you know, it was a gift to see it because I believe that he didn't really leave and... He's with me all the time. Man, we haven't described yeah. Deborah. She has short brown hair, and she reminded me a little bit of Carrie Fisher. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At a similar age. Yeah, you said that. Kind of similar build and face. Yeah, she seemed um, like a really sweet lady, but uh, boy, she's just been through a lot. So much. And yeah, it's not at all hard to imagine how someone who's been through all that could have post-trauma. I think you left for a bit, and she started playing her EVPs. 
She's also part of a paranormal group. Yes. And she had re- I saw I heard the beginning of this. Okay. She had recorded some electronic voice phenomena. And, and if you don't know what that is, you should listen to our Queen Mary episode. We talk yes, about EVPs a lot. Then you'll know all about it. And so she committed the grave sin of writing the name of the EVP, like exactly what was gonna be said mm-hmm. as you were listening to it. So it's like, like a caption. Yeah, it's like now we can never hear it and just wonder what it was. Right. The first one was legitimate clear we will play it for you and then we'll tell you what it says and you could probably make that out that was high ginger very clear apparently there was a dog named ginger and there was a ghost of a girl who was not there in the room so she says so she says and then she was playing some other ones that really didn't sound like anything especially not what she was telling us they said so the high ginger one was the most impressive yeah now at this point I did leave I was starving and I went to eat without you oh that's right yeah you went to get some pancakes yeah she played the EVPs and then she showed us a bunch of drawings too that she had done mm-hmm. early in the day while she was working with Bud Hopkins she had also uh, drawn like a gray alien she said before that was ever in the media mm. so that was interesting that would be fun to uh, try to corroborate. And then, yeah, she showed how her drawings matched up perfectly with many crop circles. And I shouldn't say perfectly because it was like just kind of a rough analog, but she was saying that she was getting cosmic significance through these drawings. Anyway, so yeah, that was the end of her talk. And then I went to join you and have some food. Ooh, boy. Ooh, boy. And so that's it for part two. In part three, we're going to look at, I think, our favorite talk of the entire conference. Uh, definitely mine. Yeah, I think hands down, this is the best talk. And it involves... A certain bird. You're going to hear all about it. <laughs> You'll gain lots of knowledge. I don't like to give anything away, but it's a predatory bird. <laughs> uh, it can turn its head all the way around. It a falcon? Talons. No. No, they can't you turn know, their heads all the way around. It's surprising that you don't know what I'm talking about because you keep accidentally using the word in all of your <laughs> words, but I know it's just I thought we were trying to go for cryptic all of a sudden, so I was trying to back <laughs> backtrack. <laughs> Walk it back. Sure. Uh, can't wait to tell you more. Tune in next week for part three. You'll like it. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton of Mr. Deity and Way of the Mr. Fame. Our show is produced and co-edited by Ian Kramer. Our iTunes is at iTunes, and you can find us there. Leave us positive reviews. And anywhere you get your podcast, please leave us a positive review there. That will help other people find us and tell your friends. And if you don't like it, well, you could write a review on it on a little slip of paper and put it in your desk and keep it there and mm-hmm. then burn your house down. <laughs> also, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash on rack. Yeah, go there. There's all kinds of supplemental materials we post there. We post pictures, we post thoughts and articles and all kinds of things. So get involved. Come join us. You don't even need a Facebook account. And you can support this and all our future investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate. Donate. Thank you to all our donors. You are the best. Carrie will not burn your house down. No, I will not. I'm just encouraging you. <laughs> nah, I'm not encouraging you to burn your house down. Don't do it. And remember. And I am not sleeping
Hey, Max Fun community. This is your friend Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Eat, Pray, Love, and a bunch of other stuff. I am a longtime member, supporter, and devoted follower of Maximum Fun. And now, finally, I have my own podcast on the network. It's called Magic Lessons, and it is me coaching people through their creative issues and problems. This season, we have some amazing creators that we're helping through their joys and struggles of making something out of nothing. And then I bring in special guests like Glennon Doyle Melton, Brandon Stanton, Martha Beck, the poet Mark Nepo, Michael Ian Black, Sarah Jones, Gary Scheingart, these amazing friends of mine to come and help coach these people so that they can get their work done. I hope you'll tune into it. It's called Magic Lessons, and it's all about love. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.